Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Uh, we are trying to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day, so I would like to alert you to an opinion piece that appeared yesterday in the Washington Post. I believe it deserves our attention. It was penned by uh, David Von Drail, and you may say to yourself, I don't know who that is. Well, he's a columnist for the Washington Post um, who writes about, note this, national affairs and politics. National affairs and politics, that is his area of expertise. Uh, keep that in mind as I tell you what um, what he has written about that has appeared in the Post just yesterday. Uh, he notably joined the Post in 2017 after serving for a decade at Time magazine, where he wrote uh, more than 60 cover stories as their editor at large. So when we're talking about worldview, it is always helpful to know where someone has come from, uh, what they're doing, and, you know, and the the position from which they're writing. He is married. He has two kids. He lives in Kansas City. I tell you that um, so that you will have a framework for hearing a couple of the lead paragraphs from this piece. Um, this piece is about the uh, what has taken place in Germany and the title of the opinion piece. Well, now, of course, the Washington Times wants me to sign in again this morning. So let me just tell you that the title of the piece is German Catholic Priests and Same-Sex Marriage. So more than 100 Roman Catholic churches across Germany gave blessings on Monday to same-sex couples. Uh, The priests were acting in open defiance of Pope Francis, who signed a statement in March from the Vatican forbidding such blessings because, in the words of the Curia, God, quote, cannot bless sin, end quote. So uh, to that point, this piece is accurate and uh, truth-affirming. And so then the, uh, the opinion piece in the Washington Post goes this way. It is an age-old temptation for popes and their bureaucracies to edge across the line between interpreting God and playing God. The Almighty is so darned aloof, so circumspect, who could blame humans for speaking on God's behalf? Which, <clears throat> yeah, be, be careful how you speak about God, friends. Um, you know, he is the Almighty. Uh, here's what David uh, Von Dure goes on, on to say. Here's what it means to believe in a force of infinite scope and power, a self-defining creator who makes all things and knows all things. God can do whatever God feels like doing. A God contained in a book or a system or an orthodoxy is but a force harnessed by humans. No God at all. God cannot be harnessed. That's built into the definition. Humans, even exalted humans in magnificent palaces shaped by the glory uh, of Michelangelo, see through a glass darkly while God sees face to face. An implication of this unharnessed truth is that God is free to go in new directions or in different directions uh, that seem new only to us while being entirely consistent. Here, here's God speaking to the prophet Isaiah. Okay, just note for a moment that the person who just said that you can't rely on a book to help you understand God um, is now going to rely on the book 
um, to defend his position. So just take note of that. Okay. So here is David Von Dure uh, quoting from the book of Isaiah. Behold, I will do a new thing. Uh, Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? Interesting that he um, quotes from the King James Version, one of maybe the least reliable um, translations of Scripture. Okay, anyway, um, I don't know if God is doing a new thing, he admits here, and those German priests have gotten the message, or if the Vatican, which, by the way, um, would would mean that Revelation is wide open, okay? If, if he's correct that God is doing a new thing and these German priests have gotten the message in, in doing these same, performing these same-sex uh, weddings, contrary to the authority not only of the Word of God, but the church that they have uh, said that they are in submission to and the Pope who governs that particular branch of Christendom, or if the Vatican, he says, is correct about what God wants. But I'm pretty sure the statement, quote, God cannot, and then fill in the blank, is just the sort of thing a powerful group of humans might say before God cuts them down to size. A humbler Christian, note he's going to quote here the Apostle Paul as the humbler Christian, was more cautious when he observed of God how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. If David Von Dure had gone on to read what the Apostle Paul had to say um, about sexuality and sexual practice, my guess is he would not have chosen him as the person uh, to quote from the New Testament. Do you see what's going on here, friends? This writer appeals to the Bible to make the argument that the Bible cannot be trusted to lead us to the truth about the God um, who is revealed therein. You, you can't. He's making the argument from the Bible that the Bible cannot be trusted to lead us to understand God's character or God's will. Yes, I concur. God is fully free to be God, to do whatever God wants to do. But God has chosen to reveal both his character and his will in the Word, the Bible, and in the Word made flesh, Jesus, who, by the way, exegetes the Father for us. And no, we do not fully know him, but we do know him in part both through the general revelation of creation and the specific revelation of the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. The general revelation in creation, human beings made in the image of God, male and female, he created them. Procreation between male and female human beings to create more human beings reveal a lot about God's ordering of human life. The specific revelation of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation not only affirms God's ordering of human life for human flourishing through male-female marriage, but also affirms marriage as God's chosen way of having us experience here, in part, what it's going to be like to be in union with Christ as a part of the bride of Christ forever in heaven, forever and ever in heaven. Can God be trusted to be who God is, and consistently so? Yes. Is the Bible the Word of God or not? Can the Bible be trusted? If so, how then shall we live? If not, how then shall we know what is true, what is good, what is righteous, what is holy, or even who God is? Certainly God is free to be God, but God has chosen to demonstrate and reveal who he is, his character, his nature, himself. So let me ask you this morning, to what or to whom is your hope anchored? Mine is anchored to Jesus, and Jesus exegetes the Father. Jesus makes God known in ways that we can comprehend and apprehend. So what did Jesus say about marriage? What did Jesus say about God's creation of men and women? What did Jesus say about God's calling upon those who would lead his church, his church, his church, not ours, not Catholics, not Protestants, not blacks, not whites, not evangelicals, not progressives, not Americans, not Germans, not gays, not straights, Christ's church, his body, his bride, 
his living witness, his, not ours, not my church, not your church, his church, built by him and for him. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Colossians 2, beginning at verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, and see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world in which you live, and not according to Christ. You got to pay attention to what's out there today, because what's out there today is full of foolishness. Daryl Crouch is up next. He's probably going to work very hard to redeem this conversation. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Daryl Crouch. You can find him at substack.com, Daryl Crouch. And we're going to talk about loving the community and loving the church. Daryl, welcome back. Great to be with you, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Is the Bible, is the Bible reliable to lead us to the truth about who God is? You are absolutely correct. I have nothing to redeem about your conversation. You're doing a great <laughs> job. You've got a lot of right. coffee in you. You're ready. We're all ready. I'm all revved yeah. up. You know, I, I'm I all revved it. up. Well, when, you know, when people that are supposed to be writing about, um, you know, stay in your lane is what I wanted to say to that guy, but that's yeah. okay. Okay. Sure. Um, sure. Love the community. Love the church. Joining Jesus's kingdom begins at church. Um, no Lone Ranger Christianity would be a way that I would describe this as well. So talk mm-hmm. with us about this. Right. So in, in beginning a nonprofit called Everyone's Wilson, as you've been so gracious to uh, to encourage me in and uh, promote, uh, we're a coalition of local churches, but sometimes people have, I've noticed in some personal conversations and obviously noticed in the, in the, in the larger uh, community on uh, social media or wherever, uh, you know, people might get the impression that we think we can do it better than the local church. And uh, no nonprofit, uh, wh- whoever we are and whatever we're doing, is ever going to replace the the fundamental work and um, uh, heart shaping influence of the local church? And so, I just wanted to remind folks and take just out of my own experiences, remind folks that it really is the local church that shapes our hearts, shapes our minds, obviously promotes uh, the person of Jesus. We're not promoting an ideology or a philosophy of life, uh, the local church is uh, declaring the goodness of God, the authority of Scripture, the presence of Jesus and His Holy Spirit, His personal work on the cross and an empty tomb to prove it. Um, And it is this faithful work, week in and week out, performed by pastors and staff members and deacons and elders and faithful volunteers serving in the preschool hall, reading uh, uh, stories about Jesus or singing songs uh, about Jesus to uh, infants and toddlers and then uh, grade school kids and all the rest, that is the hope for the world. And uh, sometimes I hear pastors say, well, you know, healthy churches are the hope for the world. Well, um, no church, as long as we have people in them, are perfectly healthy. On this side of heaven, we've all got some room to grow. And so I just wanted to take the opportunity to remind 
myself and to remind any readers or anyone else that would be interested that if we really want to love our community, if that's really our heart, uh, we begin by loving the church and uh, we begin by engaging in the mission of the church. We can't do an end run around the church and be of good service to our community. Our mutual friend Dan Darling is the first person who I ever heard say, um, "You can't love the uh, you can't love the bridegroom and not love the bride." I'm sure he's mm. not the first person to say it, but he's the first person that I heard say it, and he was probably quoting you when he said it, you know, without attribution. Well, he's definitely not uh, the first person to say it. We can't give that to Dan, but that's a great <laughs> quote. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's take a very brief break. When we come back, I'm going to ask you to tee up these personal questions that you have for us to consider, because I think this is a helpful way of uh, sort of examining myself in terms mm. of um, my church engagement. So I'm talking with Daryl Crouch. You can um, you can read what we're talking about today at his Substack um, for our city. You can find it at DarylCrouch.substack.com. We'll be right back. Continue my conversation with Daryl Crouch. Um, check out what they're doing at Everyone's Wilson. We are talking today about uh, a piece that he has posted in his Substack, and it is about um, the church, and it is about you and I and our engagement in the church. Love the community? Question mark. Love the church. Joining Jesus's kingdom begins at church. Um, you talk in here about um, things that are good and things that are valuable and things that are essential. And then you ask us these three questions. Can we talk about those questions? Yeah, I think uh, it really comes to a personal, you know, uh, priority of my life, Carmen, and what I'm, where I'm spending my time and how am I investing in relationships and what is uh, entering my heart and my mind and what's shaping that? And so the first question is, does my routine engagement in my local church, is that shaping my heart, mind, and, and the way that I love my neighbors? And uh, am I sitting under the preaching of God's Word regularly? Do, do I, Am I under the authority of elders and pastors who who love me and who uh, pour God's Word into my life? Am, am I involved in a small group in some way that allows me to engage with other people as we grow in grace together? Uh, is this part of my life, not is this an event I attend uh, twice a month or 2.7 times a month? Is this a, um, a, a something I watch online? I was talking to some people yesterday, and, and they've really become very comfortable um, watching um, their services online. And certainly there's been health considerations that have, have necessitated that for a long time. But as we begin to reopen and reenter, Am I making decisions to re-engage in my local church community because the information I receive through the preaching or teaching of God's Word is obviously powerful, but it it's designed to be received within community where we are working out our salvation with other brothers and sisters in Christ. We are learning how to apply this together as we serve one another, as we serve our community, as we're engaged in kingdom work together with other churches. And so uh, that's the first question. Does my routine engagement, does my way of life uh, put me in the space with my local church on a regular basis? Is this a part of my life, not just something that I attend? And so um, when I think about how the word engagement, I, I think is really, really important um, because engagement goes beyond do I 
um, do I arrive, you know, 30 seconds before the, the singing ends and, you know, and slip into a pew and um, and be sure to give my tithe um, or at least my offering um, and slip out, um, you know, right at the benediction uh, in, because I've got a lunch appointment at noon. Um, that is not what we're talking about when we're talking about the being knit in to a local expression of the church in such a way that I am an integral part of the body. Yeah, I, I went to a baseball game last night in Nashville. Uh, the Nashville Sounds uh, had their home opener last night. So it was just a wonderful night. It was great. We walked in. We got our seat. We watched people that we did not know do something that we enjoyed watching them do. Um, we uh, had an usher help us make sure we had our seat. We went and got popcorn at the you know seventh inning stretch. We and then we left and we we didn't know anybody that was on the field. We didn't know really anybody that was working in that um, venue, uh, but we had a great time. And a lot of a lot of people uh, approach their church life in the very same way. Um, so. Obviously, the analogies break down over time, but church is about a community of faith, and I'm involved in that, and I'm I'm a part of the sanctifying work that God is doing in the people around me. It's not just about me um, receiving and me. Did I get anything out of it? And did I, you know, was I blessed? Or uh, all that's helpful, but uh, I, my involvement, my personal involvement in the lives of other people, is a sanctifying work. Uh, in their life. And sometimes I think we we would rather debate people on social media. We would rather advocate for issues. But really, the work of discipleship is a very personal work. And Jesus showed us that as he raised up uh, 12 uh, men and then uh, hundreds of others, really, who would follow him and engage with him uh, while he was on earth. And so the personal nature of disciple making, there's just no substitute for it. I have started um, asking people who um, who are in attack mode um, on social media, I, particularly where I have any kind of ability to communicate with them directly, mm-hmm. you know, outside of the view of everybody else. I have begun asking, hey, I'm just really curious to know, you know, about your uh, your church involvement, your engagement yeah. in a local congregation. Overwhelmingly, they're not engaged. They're not uh, you know, yeah. they may be attenders, but they're not engaged. They're not people that are, um, you know, operating in in the fullness of the life of a local congregation. And so, you know, I got to tell you, I'm not I am not likely to uh, be open to receiving counsel from a person who purports to be a Christian, but is not in, mm-hmm. you know, in active participation under the authority of their pastor, you know, in a church where the, the gospel is genuinely preached. And so, yeah. um you know, I, that's the question I've begun asking people. Tell me about your local it's, church. It's huge. That's a huge question. It was always a question when I was pastoring, and people would come to me with ideas or with whatever it would be, and 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 purporting as as a Christian ministry or whatever. That's always the question. What church are you involved in? Who's your pastor? That's the next question. If they can't answer that one, um, you know, that's a telltale. So, uh, just are you involved in your local church? Is this a part of the grit and grind of your life? on a regular basis? Do you understand what it means for volunteers not to show up? Or do you understand what it means for uh, kids to struggle with things with their parents and you're discipling them through that maturation process as their adolescence and learning to follow Jesus as young adults or whatever the case may be? And so are you in the trenches in that? And uh, 
And, and what does that look like for you? Because if, if, if you're not, then you, you're really missing the, the work of the kingdom because Jesus said, I want you to make disciples um, who will follow me. I want you to baptize disciples. I want you to teach them. I want you to, you, you, you know, I want you to invest your life in them. And those, we call that the Great Commission. And you really can't, you're not going to do that outside of a community of faith. And you're not going to be sanctified and you're not going to join the mission of God outside of a community of faith. So you meant you started the segment with no Lone Ranger Christians. And, and that's exactly the, the case. We really cannot follow Jesus by ourselves. I'm so glad that uh, I'm following Jesus with you. I'm so thankful for um, the the shepherding heart that God has given you. I'm thankful for your ministry. Um, and I just, you know, this is just like one of those segments during which, you know, you, you just want to say, I love my pastor. And I, I love the church where I have the privilege not only of worshiping, but being knit into the lives of, um, of fellow Christians, um, you know, struggling together, rejoicing together praying together, studying God's word together, serving in the city where God has placed us together. Um, so thank you for who you are and uh, and for joining us today. Really appreciate it. I always love it. Thank you, Carmen. Appreciate all you do. Thank you. You can find Daryl Crouch on Substack. You can also find him um, at Everyone's Wilson. We'll be right back. What are you thinking about this morning, and how are you thinking about what you're thinking about? That's always my uh, encouragement to each and every one of us. Uh, If you haven't been in the Word today, then certainly get in the Word of God before you think about getting out there into the world that God so loves. Jim Dennison joins me next from the Dennison Forum. We're going to lead off with an update on Israel. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Has your child ever said this to you? I don't need any help. I can do it on my own. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. If you have a teen living under your roof, chances are you hear those words all the time. And if they aren't saying it with their mouths, they're certainly saying it with their actions. But rather than viewing such communication as a slap in the face from an ungrateful child, I'd encourage you to take it as a compliment. Disrespect should never be allowed. But your goal as a mom or dad is to raise healthy, independent children, right? Well then, why not celebrate when the kids start to spread their wings? Let them strike out on their own. Let them do it all by themselves. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Denison, you can find him at the Denison Forum, and I highly recommend that you do so, denisonforum.org. Um, Jim, welcome back. I'm with you today. Thanks for the privilege. Uh, well, absolutely. I would I'd actually just love for you to um, share with folks um, uh, as much uh, as you are willing from the piece that you have posted today on the situation escalating in Jerusalem and Israel uh, and talk about the one pathway to true peace. 
glad to do that. Unfortunately, uh, such a difficult situation and one that we haven't seen, quite frankly, since 2014. We're seeing an escalation on a level that is very, very disconcerting. So I've had the privilege of leading more than 30 study tours to Israel over the years, have lifelong friends that live in Jerusalem and in Palestine. I love the Holy Land. I've written books about the Middle East over the years and just absolutely love being there. It's an incredible place. But there's division, obviously, as we're all aware. The article today tried to kind of explain the history of that. But the bottom line in terms of where we are right now, Carmen, is not since 2014 have we seen a conflict on a level where Hamas in Gaza is now firing rockets, hundreds of rockets at Tel Aviv, at Jerusalem, at major population centers. Israel is fighting back on a level that's targeting what Gaza is fighting at them, what Hamas is, is sending toward them. And this could escalate. I hope it doesn't. I very much would like that not to be the case. At the end of the day in the article, I'm calling us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem by praying for Muslims and Jews to turn to Jesus as the Prince of Peace, because he obviously is the ultimate answer to the conflict that we're facing today. And you talk about um, in this piece, and again, I just highly recommend that if you want to know um, the storylines related to what's going on in Israel, um, Jim's piece today, Rocket Attacks and Violent and violent Riots Escalating in Jerusalem, The One Pathway to True Peace, you can find it at denisonforum.org. Um, he outlines the uh, the two storylines that lead to uh, that lead to the point where we are today, and then you talk, um, Jim, in, in a very in a very direct way um, about the way of peace that they have not known. Um, you know, it is um, it's a bold statement to say, uh, and I'm just going to read you your own words. As much as I love my Jewish and Palestinian friends in the Holy Land, I am convinced that the solution to their conflict lies with neither. Um, you know, there's an evangelical Christian um, voice in this conversation that does not deny uh, the the very strong convictions of either the Jews or the Palestinians, but denies the the way forward uh, that either one of them would would suggest. At the end of the day, that's where Paul was. That's why Paul said that he was grieved in his heart for his Jewish people. That's why he was so concerned about the Jews turning to Jesus as their Messiah. Obviously, we understand the same as regards Muslim Arabs, that at the end of the day, they see Jesus as a great prophet, one of the six most important of the three more than 300 prophets. They believe he was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, ascended to heaven, will return at the end of history. But the Quran expressly forbids turning to Jesus as Messiah. It says, say not Trinity, assist, it will be better for you. Jesus, the son of Mary, was no more than a man, is a direct quote from the Quran. So Muslims do not believe in Jesus as Messiah and Savior. The Jews obviously have not turned to Jesus as Messiah and Savior. And we know from Scripture that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. As Billy Graham used to say, we cannot have peace with others or ourselves until we have peace with God. And God has made that way of peace available to all of us, to Jews and to Muslims, through Jesus. Jim, um, you know, lots going on uh, in the world today and lots going on here in the United States of America, but also, you know, lots of things going on around the world. I know that um, the, the faith of the Aussie Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has your attention. So it might be a strange pivot for us to make at this point away from Israel <laughs> to Australia but um, but I haven't talked with this topic with uh, I haven't talked about this topic with anybody else, and I appreciated what you have written on it. Uh, tell us, uh, you know, for those who don't know, who is Scott Morrison, and why should we care that this Australian Prime Minister is a fellow Christian? 
Yeah, thank you. It's a remarkable story, and I think it speaks to us on two different levels. He's prime minister of Australia. He's a very public Christian, as has been the case with other prime ministers. But he recently made the statement in which he described the degree to which he felt called by God to his office. So The Guardian, which is a British publication, took umbrage with this, uh, was very, very critical of his statement of a sense of divine calling, very much uh, almost caricaturing, almost chastising him for making such a statement. Well, that's because a sense of divine calling is in direct conflict with the secular ideology that The Guardian and so much else that we see in media today would represent. Their idea that they have a very different sense of the future than we do. There's the secular, almost religion today, Carmen, that would say that authenticity, personal authenticity, is the path to personal and social flourishing. The idea of submitting to a divine calling, the idea of, of surrendering to God's will for your life, is very much in opposition to that. And more than opposition, it's dangerous, they would say, to society. That must be replaced by this secular vision for the future. And we need to know that as believers. We need to know that in the West, maybe for the first time, we're dealing with a competing ideology which not only wants to oppose the biblical worldview, but replace it. It's in a sense how communists feel about Christians in China and North Korea and Cuba. It's a competing ideology that seeks to replace our vision with theirs. We need to be aware of that. Then we need to do what the prime minister did, and that is to use our influence to speak boldly and compassionately for the good news of God's love. Let's take a very brief break, um, Jim, and then when we come back, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to pivot to a conversation about some things happening right here in the United States of America. Um, there's just, you know, it, it's always disturbing to read headlines and engage with um, with realities in our culture and in our nation that just deny the basic, the most basic um, of biological reality. And so when we come back, I'd love to talk with you about the the confusion in the culture today related to um, to sexuality and how that's being lived out in the life um, of of the church in the U.S. So I'm going to talk with Jim Dennison when we, we return about a drag queen pastor. Mm-hmm. Yep. All those words together. We'll be right back. All right, continuing my conversation with Jim Dennison, you can find what we're talking about today at denisonforum.org. Every single morning, um, you can actually get get Jim's thoughts for the day and a roundup of what's happening in the world from a Christian worldview um, in your inbox. So check it out at denisonforum.org. Uh, Jim, it's been a few days ago now that in the daily article, you addressed um, the the confirmation by uh, by a church of a drag queen for ordination. We also now have the ELCA, uh, which is the largest Lutheran denomination in the country, having confirmed as a bishop um, a person who is transgender. Talk with us about what's going on here. Yeah, thank you. There's a context behind all of this. It really makes a little more sense of this. I think Carl Truman's marvelous book on the rise and triumph of the modern self makes it clear that we have been really since the Romantic era in a belief that truth is found internally. It's found inwardly. It's not found in external politics or in external religion or even external economics, but in internal psychological self-fulfillment. Well, Freud taught us that we are at the essence, a core, at the core, a sexual being. So what we've in the culture been believing 
finding for a long time, tragically, is that finding our own personal sexual authenticity is the pathway to our best, most flourishing self. So whether that has to do with gender identity, sexual orientation, being a drag queen, being gay, whatever that is, that's the trajectory of the culture. Well, in so many of the denominations today and churches today, there's this idea that the best way to be relevant to the culture is to be aligned with the trajectory of the culture. So as regards sexual morality, there are some that say the Bible's simply wrong, that it's outdated, that it's irrelevant, that uh, that it's no longer realistic in its belief that marriage should be a, a heterosexual union of one man, one woman, that drag queen is unbiblical, that gay activity is unbiblical and harmful. The Bible's just wrong. Others would say that we're wrong that we've been misinterpreting the Bible all these centuries, that we've been homophobic and bigoted and prejudiced. So at the end of the day, you're seeing more and more churches and entire denominations lining up with this Freudian trajectory of the culture around personal freedom and authenticity at the denial, I would say, of biblical morality. And that's the intersection. That's the challenge. That's the collision we're finding ourselves facing today. All right, along with you, I um, I really appreciated Carl Truman's book. Uh, for those of you who are listening, you will remember we had a conversation um, with Professor Truman here on the show. The book is The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. You have heard our uh, our colleague John Stone Street um, talk about it as well. I concur with Jim Dennison's assessment. It is the most important cultural book of the year. Um, and I will also say, I'll just remind everybody, you know, like you're going to need a thesaurus when you're reading it. Because it's not, um, I mean, it's definitely written for, you know, people with a college vocabulary. And some of us, it's been a while since we've been in those classrooms. So, um, uh, but it is important. What did you find um, particularly, you know, what stands out to you in terms of what Truman presents in that book? The idea, thank you, the idea that the sexualization of the culture through Freud is what explains why we've been on this postmodern trajectory, but in the context of spiritual, of uh, secular identity and, and sexual identity. We've known for a while, Carmen, we've all been talking about the postmodern shift, the idea that uh, truth is personal, individual, and subjective. You have no right to force your beliefs on me. Well, why is that being expressed so vehemently in the context of sexuality, as opposed to economics or politics or some other dimension? And it's this Freudian idea that we are at the core sexual beings and any external agency or organization that represses us, Freud would say, is dangerous to us. And so now there's this argument for sexual freedom as uh, as the means to our authentic, most flourishing self that really explains why the sexual revolutions from the 60s has been the way in which this postmodern ship has been most fully and most powerfully expressed. I think Truman brings that into focus in a way that really explains where we are in a very, very important and powerful way. We're having an um, ongoing conversation uh, here about you know, handling the Word of God and handling the Word of God well. Um, does it matter? Like when you, when you just think about the way that Scripture is handled and verses maybe are tossed about or, um, or people engage Scripture, or even use it to uphold positions that if they read the whole of Scripture, the whole testimony of Scripture, they would obviously know are not consistent with uh, God's character or will. Can you just can you just talk briefly, just riff for a moment on the importance mm-hmm. of handling the Word of God well? 
<laughs> Thank you. Be glad to do that. I have taught uh, so, uh, semester-long classes in seminaries about biblical hermeneutics, and I'll try to do that in about two minutes. So there's a book by Fee and Stewart entitled How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth that I highly recommend. It's been out for a while, but they make the point the Bible can never mean what it never meant. That in other words, the in, the original authorial intent of Scripture is what we're seeking here. We want to know what Paul meant in Romans 1 when he talks about homosexuality, for instance. Then we apply that intended meaning to the culture and the issues we face today. Well, our modern culture, postmodern culture, does just the opposite. It decides what we believe, what we see, what we find in the culture, and then it reads the Bible through that lens. We're standing before culture like a Jackson Pollock painting. You're looking at it, and Pollock wants you to bring your own meaning. He's not trying to tell you how to see the world. He's telling you the world is so chaotic that you should find your own meaning in these ink blots and in this scattered kind of paint on the canvas, because that's the reality of the world. So you see the, the Bible through the lens of this chaotic scripture. I'm encouraging people to do just the opposite. Look for what the Bible intends to say and apply that intended meaning to today, because divine nature doesn't change change. Human nature doesn't change. So the Bible is just as relevant as it's ever been. G.I. Packer called the Bible God preaching. Let's listen for the voice of God, the Word of God, because that Word will change our lives and liberate our spirits. And I think that the the conversation about Bible translations, um, it's an ongoing conversation I'm having uh, on the on the text line now with a listener. Um, you know, the not everyone um, has the competency nor the interest to uh, read the Bible in its original languages, but as close as we can get to understanding what uh, what is meant and what was meant um, is is important. And so, uh, talk with us about you know. My guess is that over time, you you may have migrated in terms of which translation of the Bible you turn to most readily in your own study. Can you just talk about that process? Yeah, absolutely. There are three different ways that the Bible gets translated. The one is called the literal, where you're trying to get word for word, almost penny in a slot. The opposite is the paraphrastic, where you're trying to get ideas. So the first might be the New American Standard. The other might be the Message, let's say, or the Living Bible. In the middle is called dynamic equivalence, where you're as literal as you can be, but you sometimes use different idioms to express the intended meaning when necessary. When I'm in Cuba preaching and I say it's raining cats and dogs, I don't want my translator to say cats and dogs are falling from the sky. I want him to use my <laughs> idiom to get into his idiom, and that's the middle ground, this dynamic equivalent. That would be the NIV or maybe the ESV, which has become my favorite. For many years, I used the NIV, New International Version. I find the English Standard Version to be more literal than the NIV, but not so literal like the New American Standard that maybe it's sometimes wooden and sometimes misses idioms a little bit. And at that point, I would highly recommend not only the ESV, but the ESV Study Bible. I find it myself. I make no money for saying this. I have no commissions here, but I will tell you that the notes in the ESV study Bible do the best job of explaining the original intended meaning of the text of any study Bible I've seen. It's a very large volume if you buy it in print, but you can get it as an app as I have it on your phone, your iPad, and I found it to be fantastic. So that's my personal recommendation. Yeah, I'm a, I, um, I was an NIV girl, um, you know, when I was in high school and college, and then I, you know, migrated to the RSV, and then the NRSV, and then the, and now the ESV, and my husband is an NASB guy. I mean, like, right? I mean, there are, um, and so I think that the conversation about Bible translation is a good one to have, because how, how we receive it, um, 
certainly is reflected in how we interpret it. And, Absolutely. Uh, and we want to we want to handle the word of God well. All right. We have ranged about to, you know, all kinds of conversational topics. And I just genuinely appreciate that, Jim. Um, thank you for uh, the clear thinking that you offer us each and every day. Thank you for turning us on to Todd Furness. We had him on the program. We had a great conversation with him about the 60 percent solution. We, we all learned a lot about um, healthcare and how it works and how it's not working and how it might work better. So um, thank you for, for sharing that recommendation with us. We really enjoyed our conversation with him. So glad to hear it. Todd's been on our board from the founding. He's one of the most brilliant people I know, an amazing person, probably didn't tell you, but went to college on a tennis scholarship, a great mm. athlete as well as, yeah, and he's been in finance, obviously, been in management and is really kind of a renaissance guy. Highly recommend his book, The 60% Solution. It's a remarkable new way to look at healthcare in a postmodern culture and in the context where we find ourselves. So appreciate, uh, so appreciate you and what you're doing each and every day. Keep doing it. Keep coming back and talking with us. That's Jim Dennison. You can find him at denisonforum.org. We'll be right back. Thanks, Carmen. All right. Someone is now asking, um, what about the message uh, in terms of uh, a Bible? Uh, you know, I think that when we talk about the message, we are talking about uh, a personal paraphrase of the Bible in English um, by an individual named Eugene Peterson. Yes, he used the original languages, but um, the the message is a contemporary language paraphrase. It is not regarded as a translation. Um, hugely different conversation when we're talking about um, uh, versions of Scripture that are written to be read. Um, the ragamuffin uh gospel would be another example of a paraphrase. And so you're talking there about something different than something that really is designed to be a good translation of the original languages. So um, yeah, if it's full of lots of idioms, um, if it's full of words that don't actually exist in the original uh, Greek and Hebrew, um, then you're talking about a paraphrase, not a translation. There you go. We could spend a whole hour probably talking about which Bibles we're reading and why we're reading them and why it's important to handle the Word of God well. All right, um, the first hour is over. We've got another hour up next. I hope you have been in the Word of God, regardless of the translation. Get into the Word of God today. Let it get into you before you get out there into the world that God so loves. Lots of equipping resources available for you um, at MyFaithRadio.com to go deeper and wider and, and learn to um, articulate your own faith story. There's, we got a resource posted there, totally worth checking out um, on preparing your own faith story. I know everybody wants to communicate the gospel neighbor to neighbor uh, and generation to generation. Sometimes we just need some help doing that. We have a tool for you at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.